Okay. Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart, leader of the church. Very warm welcome to you. Please grab a Bible. Please turn to Mark chapter 8. We are going to get there momentarily. Mark chapter 8. Before we do, I just want to recommend a couple of books, which I've got some copies to give away here. If you'd like one, please come and grab it. The first one is um, simply titled Forgive by Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller is a, a Christian writer who's been writing for many years, a former pastor in New York, who's read some excellent books. This book I found brilliant. It's on the subject of forgiveness, which is a foundational topic for Christians. We have been forgiven by God, which is the most fundamental, but then in turn we image God to one another by learning to forgive one another. And Timothy Keller does an outstanding job of talking this through, working it out, and then working out what it looks like in practice. Chapter 9, I think it was, I thought was absolutely brilliant, which is very much down to earth practical, how do we do it, but there's a lot of stuff building up to that, putting the argument in place. So I've got some copies of here, please grab this, read this. It's an excellent book on a fantastic and vitally important subject. Second one is um, a book by Max Licado. Max Licado is another American pastor who has written many, many books over the last three decades. And what I find great about his books is they're all about Jesus. I still remember reading When Christ Comes, Just Like Jesus, Next Door Savior. He writes about Jesus, and they are fantastic books. But this one isn't about Jesus, which caught my eye. It's about the Holy Spirit. So this is called Help Is Here. Finding fresh strength, purpose, and power of the Holy Spirit. And so obviously the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus, so there's Jesus in there too. But this is the one about the Holy Spirit. I actually listened to this one. I thought it was fantastic. Lots of great stuff that just stirred my heart, again, for my relationship with the Holy Spirit, for his presence in my life, what he is here to do, how he shapes my life, leads me, guides me. Fantastic, very easy, very accessible book. Excellent book on the Holy Spirit. So please, if you want a copy of one of those, please come and grab them. The rest of you, we are going to get into Mark chapter 8. Ah, scrum down, scrum down. All right. Now, before we get into that text, um, I don't know if you've ever been through um, a life-changing event that I have been through, and that is um, getting glasses. I wear glasses or contact lenses to correct my vision because it is not as good as it could or should be. And I still remember the moment when I realized I had to kick glasses, and I was driving. It's great when this is the moment. I was driving up the M11, coming back from a a course I'd been on, Bible teaching course, and I was with a friend who was also on the course, and I was dropping him home, and then I was going to drive on home. And we were coming up the M11, and we needed to get off at junction, whatever. And I saw the big blue sign as we're just chatting away. And as we passed the big blue sign, in the bottom corner of the big blue sign is the little black bit that has the junction number on, doesn't it? And I noticed my man and said, just tell me what the junction number is there. I don't want to miss it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, just what was the junction number on the sign? And he said, what? I said, I can't see it. <laughs> and he just looked at me and said, go and get your eyes tested. So I got back home and I told Melanie and she was like, you're what? You're home safe. That's a good thing. Um, and so I, got, I booked a, a, a session with the optician that week, and I went in there, and the guy who was there said, um, you know, why have you come in? I said, well, I, I think my vision's not very good. I've never been to an optician. I've never needed glasses. Da, 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 da. And he sat me down, and he said, well, just, just read, read. Tell me what you can read on the sign on the wall. To which I said, what sign? <laughs> and, he just, and the optician just went, oh. That, that was it. I don't, I don't know if that's a professional thing. 
they just went, oh, and they put that thing, or had to wear this, they had to wear that thing, and they put the lenses in, and there was a moment, there was a moment there where I was, I just, he put the lenses in, and I was like, I can see, there are words on the wall, letters and everything, and he was just like, wow, this is amazing, to which is like, this is just getting glasses, for him it's normal, for me it was just a eureka moment, where it's like, I can see, and I could read, he said, can you read the letters, and I said, I can read the letters, and I read them, and I was just, it was proud, and then I went home, and I told me, Mel, I can see, um, which was fantastic, and what we're going to look at today, in this section, in Mark's gospel, is all about seeing, and how do we see And what we're going to see today in this story, in this bit of text, is there are those who should see who cannot see, and there is one who cannot see who does see. Now, what we've got in our series in Mark's Gospel, you've been following along, it's entitled All About Jesus, we've basically reached the halfway point. We started this back in September. The first section of Mark, which is Mark chapter 1, verse 1, up to Mark chapter 8, verse 10, those kind of first seven and a little bit chapters is all about asking the question, who is Jesus? It's about Jesus in Galilee, um, proclaiming to be the Messiah, demonstrating the kingdom, calling for a response, meeting some opposition. Jesus is ministering to both Jew and Gentile. It's all about asking that question, well, who is this guy? It's even one of the questions the disciples ask, who is this? After Jesus calmed the storm. And what we're moving into is the second section, which is a much shorter one, which is effectively on the way. So Jesus has been in Galilee. The second section we're moving into now, which is last sort of rest of chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, is when Jesus is on the way and looks at the question, what does it mean for Jesus to actually be the Messiah? If he is the Messiah and he's demonstrated that, what does it actually mean? And then the final section, starting in uh, Mark chapter 11, is Jesus in Jerusalem where Jesus works out how does he fulfill his role as the Messiah, God's chosen one, sent to his people. So we're in this middle, middle section, and commentators describe it as the hinge, the turning point of the gospel. We've had this build-up with Jesus demonstrating who he is, what he's come to be, and now we have this hinge point where everything turns. And particularly next week is the center point. So do not miss next week's one. We're going to build up to it this week. Next week is the key moment in the center of the gospel where it all turns and then it starts to head towards Jerusalem. This section happens on the way. You'll see that phrase come up as we look through it. And so we've seen Jesus as a new Moses coming, leading his people in a new exodus. And now he starts to reveal his plans and purposes to his disciples. And what began at verse, chapter 1, verse 1, where Mark said this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're now actually seeing it start to work out. And what we're going to do first is we're going to read the passage. What we're going to do is, it's a slightly shorter one this week, so we're all going to read it together. There's five slides that are going to come up. Oops, lost my notes. So when it appears on the screen, I'll give you a one, two, three, and we'll all read it along together. So we've read God's word together. Ready? Three, two, one, go. The Pharisees came and begin to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, They had forgotten to bring bread. 
and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many boxes full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home, home saying, sorry, do not even enter the village. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Big idea. We are all spiritually blind and require Jesus' healing touch to see. We are all spiritually blind and we require Jesus' healing touch to see. So what we're going to look at in this uh, passage, we've got three groups. We've got the Pharisees, the disciples, and the blind man. And we're going to look at who can see and who cannot. So first one, the Pharisees, verses 10 to 13. Now, they're back. We've already met these guys um, And they're coming to talk to Jesus again. And they are demanding from Jesus a sign, which is uh, an object lesson, basically, on what faith is not, is not. And so they come, it says they came to Jesus. The Pharisees came. And that means they came out like a military formation. That's the language, the strength of the language, like a phalanx of soldiers They came to Jesus, which sets the tone for what's going to happen. It says, and they began to argue with him. That means they were to dispute. They are directly opposing Jesus. Seeking, they are looking for something. They're they're, they're looking for it, but we'll find out that their attitude isn't particularly genuine. But they were seeking a sign from heaven. Now, what this doesn't mean is a miracle, because Jesus has done lots of miracles, and they've been around. Some of them have witnessed it paralyzed man. They've seen him perform miracles. They've heard him teach, but they are looking for a sign from heaven, and they are to test him. So there's their dodgy attitude. They're basically, they want to put a stumbling block. They want to discredit Jesus. This particular word for testing is used in the gospel, and it's used by Satan in the wilderness to test Jesus. And it's also used to the Pharisees. So you can see the attitude there behind it. And they're after this sign from heaven, which is basically a, a confirmation 
from God of what Jesus is doing. Now, we know, we've been reading the gospel, this has already happened at the baptism. Jesus got baptized, he came out of the water, and what happened? The voice of the Father spoke, this is my son, he said. So we've actually already had this, but the Pharisees want further proof, and the whole tenor of their demand on Jesus is one of self-righteous confrontation. They are not coming humbly, they are not coming open, they are coming to demand of him and basically get Jesus to do what they want Jesus to do. And Jesus responds. He responds firstly in words. He says, why does this generation seek a sign? He says, no sign will be given to you. And he begins, he says, by sighing deeply in his spirit. This growing, this this sense of exasperation. I don't know if you've ever felt this. When you just like, you're feeling that and you're like, oh, if you've got children, you may have felt it many times, but you've got that sense of like, no, what are you doing? And so Jesus is being pushed by the Pharisees to the limit of what he is kind of expected. And they just, they just, they, well, they're refusing to believe. And when he says this generation, Jesus is hearkening back into our Old Testament where we had the people of God under Moses And they were that generation, they were hard-hearted. You go back even further to the days of Noah, there was a sinful generation there who just refused to believe and and follow God. So Israel had 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 it, and Jesus is seeing his people again, and they're saying, actually, you're just, you're you're hard-hearted. You're not willing to believe. And he says, no sign will be given. And he begins by saying, truly I say to you, this is a solemn, when Jesus is going to say something, a a pronouncement, something truth or something you need to take, uh, take um, uh, sort of notice of, he uses that phrase, truly I say to you, this will not happen. What has happened in Israel's past is now being repeated in Israel's present for Jesus. He's saying, actually, you're not going to get it. You've had all the opportunity. I've taught you. I've shown you. I've had all these demonstrations, and you're still demanding more. You're not going to get that. That's not going to happen. You have enough. And then Jesus responds, and it says, he left them, he got into the boat, and went to the other side. So he told them, you're not going to get this, and then he responds with actions by actually physically removing himself from them. Their hard-heartedness, their unbelief, their confrontational attitude, their refusal to repent and see who Jesus is means that there is a parting of ways. And Jesus is symbolically saying, I'm not, not dealing with you anymore. He's leaving you, and he gets in the boat and he goes to the other side. The Pharisees' unbelief has led to an outright rejection of Jesus. They cannot see who he is, even though they are the ones who are most qualified to be able to see. They are the most religious ones. They are the ones who know the Torah, know the law, know the words of the prophets. They're the most devout and faithful ones, yet they cannot see who Jesus is. And Jesus is just saying, no, I'm leaving you. You are stuck in that. So then what happens? We come to the disciples, verses 14 to 21. So the Pharisees' unbelief is then followed by an incident with the disciples where they fail to see who Jesus is. And even if it's not total outright um, opposition, it is total misunderstanding. So it begins with a parable. It says, now they've forgotten to bring bread. I love this. But what's the first thing? We're in the boat. What's the first thing? What's for lunch? What's, what, we need something to eat. And it says they, they only had one loaf with them in the boat. There's 12 of them and there's Jesus. And they're thinking, how many ways do we split this? And then Jesus tells them a parable. A parable is a, very, is a, small, a little story with a big idea and it's a very short one. He says, watch out, be aware 
of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And this is a strong warning because Jesus says, it says he cautioned them. He said, watch out. And he says, beware. So there is a significant danger here that Jesus is pointing out. And he talks about leaven. The leaven they used that had the yeast in that they put in a new batch of dough that then would be uh, baked and the, 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 it would rise and they would have bread to eat. And so that's what he's using. And he's saying this leaven is harking back to the Exodus again. We find that theme coming up. When the, um, the Israelites left Egypt, they, made with them, they took with them unleavened bread and it became a festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was connected with the Passover. And it, led, it linked with them fleeing from slavery and finding redemption and salvation. So this is a salvation issue. And Jesus is warning them, saying, be aware of the Pharisees and be aware of Herod and their leaven. Now, you've got to stop for a moment thinking, what do the Pharisees and what do Herod have in common? Because they're very different. You've got the Pharisees who are these utterly faithful, devout, religious, pious individuals who faithfully and zealously follow God's law and want a restoration of Israel and all that that is in the temple worship. And then on the other side, you've got Herod, who is a collaborator and a puppet ruler from Rome. And he just wants to extend his power and his power base and, and all that he is. And he can be vicious and cruel. You saw that with the, the murder of John the Baptist. And we know from history plenty of other things. So what do these two have in common? What they simply have in common is they will fail to believe in Jesus. They don't believe who he is. They don't know who he is. They can't see who he is. And so what Jesus is warning them about is unbelief. Be aware of the unbelief of these two groups, Herod and the Pharisees, and they don't uh, believe in him. And as a result of that, comes opposition. We've seen the Pharisees' opposition, Herod's opposition in terms of the murder of John, but also uh, Jeremy spoke last week about this circuitous route that Jesus took that didn't really make sense. Well, what he was doing, he was avoiding Herod's territory, just staying out of the way, because Herod didn't believe and didn't want to get involved in that. And so that's what Jesus is warning about. And then we get the disciples' response, verse 16, and they began discussing with one another that they had no bread. So they're still on the bread thing. They've got this, we haven't got any food. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, let me warn you about unbelief and the, the, the killer it is. And they're going, still got no food, still got nothing to eat. We've got no bread. And so they are completely unaware. They are completely failing to understand and get what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus warned them because unbelief leads to opposition. Unbelief leads to opposition. You've seen that with the Pharisees. It says, beware, because you're in danger of that. There is a unbelief even here in the boat. They were close to Jesus. They had been walking with Jesus. They had seen miracles. They had been sent out by Jesus and said, even though you've been all that, there is still something you need to be aware of, a hardness of heart, unbelief. We've, even, we've already seen it with Jesus' mother and brothers who knew him the best, and they didn't believe who he was, and they thought he was crazy. And so it's right there, and Jesus is warning them. And then Jesus, so the disciples have responded, we've got, still got no bread. And then Jesus responds to them, and he's aware of it. And he, he sees that then they're discussing. That word discussing apparently is used seven times in Mark, and each time it is used negatively for people who are trying to understand God without God's help. They're trying to understand Jesus without his input. They're trying to work him out on a human level, and they are failing every time. 
And Jesus presses his disciples with these questions. He says, do you not see? Do you not perceive or understand? Or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Can't you see? Can you not hear? Don't you remember? Do you not still understand? And he references two previous miracles that we've seen, which was the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus multiplied the bread to that Jewish audience and was the new Moses coming to a new Israel on a new Exodus. And he's saying, this is, I'm the Messiah to lead you out. And then we have the feeding of the 4,000 where Jesus was with um, the Gentiles. So it wasn't just for the Jews, it was for the Gentiles of all people. And he did the same again. He was sufficient for all people, all groups, and all times, and all places. You've been there. You've seen it twice. How, many, how much leftovers did we have? And they said, oh, we've got plenty of leftovers. So Jesus fed all those people and then multiplied it, and there was much more leftover. And he's saying, it's right there. I am the one who can provide. So what? You've only got one loaf in the bread. You've got me. I'm in the boat. I'm enough. And the disciples are still saying, still only got one loaf. And Jesus is like, I'm here. Listen, your hearts are hard. You cannot see. And the disciples are worried about their lack of bread. And Jesus is worried about their lack of faith. They don't see him. They don't see what he can do. They don't see what he's done. And they experience it. They literally ate the bread that he multiplied in the wilderness twice. And they're saying they're still not getting it. They show a level of unbelief and dullness towards Jesus. And they're the ones who've been so close to him. for We don't know quite how long, but many, many months. He's, they've, they've been there with him. He's seen miracles. They've been on the inside. And Jesus even taught parables. And we looked at those in Mark chapter 4. And he says, and what the purpose of the parables? Well, the parables separates the insiders from the outsiders. Those who see, those who understand, those who grasp it, meaning they're on the inside. And those who don't, those who reject it, those who walk in unbelief, they're on the outside. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. And the application of his disciples is, guys, you're still on the outside. I've joined you, but you still don't see. And so what does that take us to? The final person in the story. The blind man, verses 22 to 26. Jesus comes with blind man. So they come to Bethsaida which was the home of Peter and Andrew, and we've been here already in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it was a town on the north shore of the Lake of Galilee. Um, and they meet this blind man, and they bring, first of all, they bring him out. He is brought by others. So some people bring the blind man to Jesus. The blind man can't see, so he needs others. So others take him to Jesus. And so we've got someone here who cannot see at all. And this is similar. We're going to look for the parallels in the previous section. We didn't have a blind man. We had what? We had a deaf man who couldn't hear. So we've got someone who couldn't hear, and we've now got someone who can't see. And they were both brought to Jesus. We know what happened to the deaf man. Let's see what happens to the blind man. First of all, we have Jesus' response. So he took, him, took the blind man by the hand. He led him out of the village. And then there's, there's spit involved, just like the previous one. Bit gross, he laid his hands on him. Do you see anything? And what we here have here is a miracle of seeing. We've had a miracle of hearing, and now we've got a miracle of seeing. We've had a man who couldn't hear, who can now hear, and we've got a man who can't see, but will soon see he can. And Jesus prays for the man and he talks to him, says, What what what's going on with you? Do you see anything? And he says, yeah, I see people, but they look like trees. So he's seeing something, but he's not seeing fully. He's not seeing completely. And this is the only point 
in the Gospels where the miracles of Jesus is not instant. And Jesus dealt with all sorts of things, paralyzed people, leprosy, dead people. He says stuff, stuff happened. This is a staged miracle, a staged healing, if you will. So why is this story in here? What's the point of this? And the point is that this man sees gradually. There is a process of revelation that is coming to him. And it points clearly within the context of what we're going through is actually seeing Jesus requires A, a touch of Jesus, and sometimes doesn't come completely all at once. There is a revelation of seeing that happens here. He says once, do you see completely? No. So what does he do? He prays again, and his sight was completely restored. And it says he could see everything clearly. And Mark has put this in there to illustrate what's happening. We've got people who cannot see at all, like the Pharisees. They are completely hard and they are completely opposed. They just don't see Jesus. We've got people like the disciples who are kind of there, but then, no, they're not. They're in that place now. And what we're going to see next week is a beginning of revelation for the disciples as they start to see. And Mark's building it all up and saying, actually, there is, it requires Jesus to see. And sometimes it requires a process. Sometimes it requires multiple touches for Jesus to come and work in someone's life. And it ends with Jesus' command. He sent them home, saying, don't enter the village. This man who could now see was told not to go back. This is likely because of the theme of secrecy we've seen running through Mark's gospel, where actually Jesus doesn't want people seeing him to be the Messiah in the wrong way. It's like a victorious, mighty warrior who's going to come and kill lots of Romans. No, that's not the kind of Messiah. And as we look over the next few weeks, we'll see the kind of Messiah he is to be one that is marked by suffering and death. And so what we've got here in these stories is actually the ability to see, both physically and spiritually, is a gift from God. It is something that comes from God. It's not part of human ability. And what we've got is Jesus breaking into people's lives and allowing them to see. The man's sight comes by a repeated touch of Jesus. And the blind man is a mirror to what we've seen in the previous two stories. We've got the Pharisees you can't see at all. They are completely blind, yet they are the ones you should be able to see the most. They have failed completely. They are the most equipped, the most trained, the most taught, yet they just can't see it. We have the disciples there who kind of like, we kind of get something's going on here. They're asking questions, but they still don't fully see. And then we've got a blind man who can't see anything, and yet the touch of God comes to him, and he gets to see and so out of all the characters in the story, who's the one who can see the best? It's the blind guy, which is just the irony that Mark is putting before us. And the fact that it points to Jesus is the one who brings sight to those who need to see, both physically and spiritually. So where does that leave us today? What are we going to do? How do we go about seeing Jesus as he truly is? Because seeing Jesus as he truly is, is a gift from God. It is something God does sovereignly. It's God something God, 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 sorry, God does in people's life. It's when the Holy Spirit moves and the Holy Spirit works. But how do we then respond to that? Do we sit passively or do we make our posture active and forward? And I don't know where you find yourself here. Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you someone who loves and serves him? Or are you an unbeliever, a skeptic, questioning? You're indifferent to what this, you're even opposed to this. Well, let me suggest a few things if you want to see Jesus clearly. How do we go about doing that? Well, the first thing is you need to come to Jesus with a soft 
heart. You need to come to Jesus with a soft heart. This is the total opposite of the way the Pharisees approached Jesus. They came with a hard heart. And think of it like this. Um, I don't know, most of you would have gone to bed last night, woken up this morning in a bed. I don't know what your bed's like, but I'll tell you a bit about my bed. First of all, we've got the mattress that you lie on, that when you lie on, you're like, oh, it's soft. It's soft, it's comfy, it's something I can roll over on, I can snuggle down. It's got a pillow, I've got a pillow at the end of my bed that I put my head on. When I put my head on, my head sinks into it and I just think, this is nice. Then I pull up my duvet over me and I pull it round tight around me and it forms to my body and I lie there and I'm warm and it's soft and I can just drift off to sleep. Wonderful, isn't it? Imagine if your bed was hard. Imagine if you're lying on something rock solid like the stage or the floor and then you had to put your head on a pillow but the pillow was a stone, a rock on the bed and you're like, oh man, there's no giving it. And then we pull up your duvet and your duvet was just a sheet of plywood and you just had to lie that on you because it was just hard and you just, well, I'm not really going to, if I turn it kind of bends this way and if I go this way, it goes this way and there's a draft at the back. It's going to be a miserable night's sleep. Because it's hard. And when you come to Jesus, somebody will come with that hard attitude. That, that forceful, confrontational opposition that we see in, the, uh, sorry, see in the Pharisees. That's not how we're to come to Jesus. We're to come with a soft heart. A giving, a pliable heart. Well, what does that look like in reality? Well, there's a few things it can look like. It looks like one of humility. Where we come before Jesus, and we recognize who he is, and we recognize who we are in light of him. We are not the center of this world. We're not even the center of our worlds. He is the center. He is the most important one. He is the one we look to, and we put him in his rightful place, and we put ourselves in our, his right, our rightful place, that we are mortal, and he is mortal. We are finite. He is infinite, and we come towards him with that attitude. We come humbly, him. We come faithfully. We come for one who trusts in God. Jesus said, I reward those who come to me with faithful hearts. Those who seek me, find me. Those who want to know me. Those who believe in me will find me and see me for who I am. We are willing to come before God and repent of our sins. We are willing to turn away from living our own way of life and, put, and live away the life that he calls us to. We are willing to forgive others in this life, knowing that we have been forgiven by God. We can then in turn forgive others. We are willing to grow up in our faith and not remain spiritual infants, children. We're willing to take that seriously and grow in responsibility. We're willing to make room in our lives for Jesus. Our room has got give and softness in it so that when Jesus comes in, it flexes and he can come and be part of our lives and have, our, have his way with us. There aren't hard edges in our life. We're not people who will just take offense at the slightest thing and then harbor bitterness and unforgiveness towards others. That is what it looks like to come towards Jesus with a soft heart. And Jesus isn't someone who can be pigeonholed. He isn't someone who we can put into a box. He isn't someone who we can just conform to our own image. It's someone we come to with a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, and when that happens, we are met with grace and mercy. We've seen it throughout 
the gospel stories. We've seen the paralyzed man who his friends brought to Jesus and he received forgiveness as well as healing. We've seen the woman with the issue of blood come before Jesus because she was a desperate for a touch. She recognized her need. Jairus, the head of the synagogue, the great powerful man realized that he couldn't save his daughter so he just came to Jesus and knelt before him. We've even seen the Syrophoenician woman just last week with Jeremy who came humbly before Jesus even though she knew she was a Gentile, she was outside God's people, yet she came before him and we are to come before him and we come before him in his word which we're looking at now. We come before him as we read his word, as we study his word on a daily basis, as we get inside his word, we memorize it, we learn it, that's how we come before, that's how soft-hearted people come to Jesus, they come before the Bible, they read it, they learn it, they understand it. We come before him in prayer when we cry out to him, because when we do that, we recognize that we are dependent people, and that we need him, and we need him in our life, and we cry out to him, because there's so many things we just can't control, and we say, God, move. And we trust that his, our words to him have effect on the earth. Our prayers this morning for what has happened in the earthquake in Turkey and Syria will have had effect because we've called on a sovereign God. And we realize we can't do anything in ourselves over there, but we can cry out to God who can. We've got real life school coming up next Sunday evening. I think they're looking at the Trinity Foundation, vitally important topic of how we approach God and understanding God sign up for that learn come before God with a soft heart and say I am willing to learn be aware of those who don't have a soft heart towards God some of them we can avoid because we work with them <laughs> or they might even be in our house or they're just around and they're there but be aware of who you're spending time with and who you're learning from and who you're receiving from because those with hard hearts and bitter attitudes and in unforgiveness and groaning and grumbling and just immaturity, it will infect you, sure as the leaven infects the dough. If we're going to come to Jesus with soft heart, we need to be aware of what's influencing us and who's influencing us. So hang out with people who have soft hearts. Speak to people with soft hearts. Receive from people with soft hearts. Pray with people with soft hearts. And learn, and then through that we get to see Jesus. And the last one, come to Jesus with others. The blind man was brought to Jesus by others. And the last week we saw that the deaf man was also brought to Jesus by others. And even the Syrophoenician woman last week brought to her daughter to Jesus. Come to Jesus with others others if you want others to see Jesus bring them to Jesus bring them to Jesus walk with others those who follow Jesus it's great that you read your Bible and pray but walk alongside others who do the same be part of God's community who are you walking with at the moment who are you connecting with in the life of the church where are you spending your time are you here on a Sunday are you here at life group? Are you here at prayer meetings, at youth, at informal meetups? Are you getting together with people from God? Because we see God through his word. We see God through prayer. But where else do we see God? In others. As I hang out with other believers and I walk with them and I receive from them, I see God in them. I see God transforming their lives. I see God, God working in their hearts, which then affects me. 
So if I want to see Jesus clearly, I need to see his people in action. And I only get to see his people in action if I'm with them, if I'm hanging out with them, if I'm doing life with them and all those things. So walk with others. Also bring others. And this can take many forms. Prayer. With prayer, you can bring anyone from anywhere right before the throne of God. Are you regularly praying for people that you want them to meet Jesus? They may know it. They may not know it. doesn't matter. You can cry out for, to, for God for them. I have uh, a list I put in my journal, and I regularly pray through friends, family. pray for many believers, church, but I also pray for those outside and say, I want them to meet Jesus. God, break into their lives. Bring Christians along their path. Reveal yourself to them that they might know you. They might know your healing physically sometimes, spiritually all the time, that they might see you. Share stories. Share stories of what God's done. If you've got a story of God's, God's done something in your life, share it with someone else. Share it with anyone. Say, look, this is what God's done. You get to bring Jesus right before them. Invite them to anything and everything we do. Church and Alpha and Life Group and the Friday night youth. Youth on Friday in this room, 40 of them, because they're bringing their friends. I find that terrifying. You whoop. I'm like, I'm just going to start weeping. How many in one room? Teenagers? Anyway, it's really good. But they're inviting their friends. They're inviting their friends. You know, I found evidence though here. There's popcorn around. <laughs> they had popcorn the other night. And I came this morning and just a couple of little kernels. And I'm thinking, oh, real life, you've been here. It's wonderful. We love them. We've got men's, women's events, games, nights. We've got messies are coming up. Woo! Invite people to come and have a look. Taste and see. God is good. Let's finish. Do you want to stand? I want to pray. I don't know about you, but I want to see Jesus. I want to see him more clearly than I've ever seen him, and I want others to see him as well. And I recognize I cannot do that alone. I cannot do that in my own ability. I cannot do that in my own activity. I need to come to Jesus. I need to come to him like the blind man. I need to say, God, restore my sight. Make it clearer what I can see. I see, but they're like moving around like trees. I don't see clearly. I need those glasses, those lenses where I, they will put on my eyes and I suddenly like, oh, look, there it is. I need to see Jesus like that. And I, my heart is I want others to see Jesus like that too. I want to bring others what I've learned, what I've seen, I want others to know. And I can talk to them, I can say to them, but actually I need God to move. Jesus, I need you to move by your spirit in me. Fill me with your spirit that I may see, but also that I may pass that on to others. And so I just want to pray for us all now. So maybe you just want to close your eyes, open your hand, and I want to pray for you to be able to see Jesus. As we sing now, as he speaks to us, even the words of what we've read in God's word today, would permeate your hearts, would go down like the parable of the sower, those seeds. And I also want to pray that we would be able to pass that on. So, Holy Spirit of God, I ask today that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. Lord God, forgive us for unbelief. Forgive us for self-righteousness. Forgive us for hard-heartedness. Forgive us for arrogance, Lord Jesus. We pray, God, we want to see Jesus. If you want to see Jesus, say it now. Ask him. Ask the Spirit to fill you, to open your eyes. Lord, we need a touch from you. 
We need your hands on us, Lord God. We need your work in our life that we could see you, Lord Jesus. We need you, God. We pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts, that we would hear your word, that we would see your face afresh today, Lord Jesus. Forgive us from being passive in this and just oh, lethargic God. Energize us, invigorate us, Lord. And we want to pray for others we know who don't know Jesus. Think of friends now. Think of family members. Think of a couple of names. Who are the ones who bubble to the surface and say, God, would you open their eyes to see you? What I know, would they know? And would they know more, Lord God? Would you touch their life like you touched the blind man? And would they see you, Lord Jesus? Name before him now. Ask him to move in their lives. Lord God, we want to thank you that you are someone who came to seek and save the lost. Lord, we recognize without you we were lost, far from you, and we thank you that you saved us, Lord Jesus. We pray for others who are in the same boat, God. We pray that you would save them. We pray that you would soften hearts. We pray that you would change lives. We pray that you would save men and women for your glory. And God's people said amen.